0: to return to what was in the beginning so with that i'll turn it over to nathan oh yeah all right so um what we're gonna do now is make a little bit of a turn um topically and in a number of ways and what i want to do is ask a question that all of us can kind of ponder a little bit, and that is, why does all this matter? You know, why did um, you know? I didn't decide this topic. Actually, Nathaniel and Trevor and Guillaume, I think they made this decision, and then I was kind of brought in a little bit later. And I just, you know, I asked, I always asked myself, why do why do people do what they do? And I was trying to wonder what you know, what is Trevor and Guillaume and Nathaniel? What do they what do they want out of this? And and I and I think um, I think there's a pretty clear answer, um, and that is, you know, if 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 you go through life thinking that something is the case that's not actually the case, you can actually end up um, you can actually end up making a very big mistake one tiny little step at a time because of some faulty assumptions that you made very early on and i think um, the concern that a lot of us have and this is why all of us as humans we want the truth because we know that if we don't adhere to the truth it has real consequences um i don't you know whether or not we quote go to heaven or not does not have eternal consequences to any of us we will all be with the lord if you've If you're watching this and you've believed in the Lord, and He has become your personal Lord and Savior, if you believe that He died on the cross, if you believe that He's the Son of God, then you're saved. It doesn't, in in a certain sense, it doesn't matter um, whether you believe you're going to heaven or not. Uh, That doesn't change what will actually happen with you. Um, But what it will change is how you live now. If we're under a misapprehension about what it is, about what God has planned for us and what he wants of us, um, that will change profoundly how we live our life. It will change profoundly what we think of God. It will will change profoundly what we think of the church, of how we view our friends, of how we view our family. So... um, what's really at stake here is we want an accurate view of reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't want to make an early mistake and then misorient for our whole life. So um, I think a lot of us very, very at the beginning, at the outset, we make a, a big mistake. And the mistake is by taking language too seriously? okay now he's going philosophical, but stick with me here. Um, there's this very common question, and I think Trevor probably asked this question to people a lot and I know my grandmother used to ask this to me and is that and that is where are you going when you die? Where are you going when you die? And the, and the question, you know, I want to focus your attention on the word where, where. So when we, when we ask that question, we start thinking of locations, like, okay, where, you know, where is it? So then we start thinking in terms of, or I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, or earlier we're talking about going down to Hades or down to Sheol. Um, people talk about going up to heaven and, you know, Paul and the, Paul the Apostle, in the New Testament, he says that we're seated above with Christ. So there's all this language in the Bible, and even the way that we talk, about direction. And it's about location. Um, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um, you know, these things are kept in the heavens for us. There's, you know, we have this language. But we need to realize that very often we ought not to take everything in the scripture completely literally. Um, so, like this question, where will you go where where you die? In a certain sense, it doesn't matter where you go. What matters is who are you with? Mm. Are you with the Lord? Now, that's why even Paul expresses it this way. His desire was to be with the Lord. Um, you know, in in Philippians, we talked about that earlier. Um, so, so this means that when we read verses like Philippians three twenty, which speak of our citizenship in heaven, or our our citizenship. well, how's it go? Let me look it up. I need mean, them quoting it wrong. Um, yeah, for our citizenship, uh, is in the heavens. Uh, in Greek, is what it says, uh in the heavens. We don't, we shouldn't be stumbled and think, okay, we this is a this is a place that we're going. Um, place is not the emphasis in the way God is working with human beings. He's not He's not zipping us around to different parts of the universe based on our ontological status. Are we alive? Are we dead? are we dead? But before he's returned and, you know, our souls are going this way and kind of going this way and this going, um, it's not so much that this is what the Lord is focused on. What he's focused on is our condition and he's focused on um, our person. He's, he's focused on us and he's focused on who we're with. Um, so what I want to do is actually look at this from a, church historical perspective, and um, particularly the question of um, this question of, of, um, of where and, and why all of this matters. And, and I wanna do this by uh, first introducing a couple of verses. One is Hebrews 12, one and two. Um, there there's a verse that says that we look away from all the things distracting us and we look away unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. What, what God really wants us to be looking at is not so much uh, destination in terms of where are we going. He wants us to be looking away unto Jesus. Right. And according to this verse, there's, there are a lot of things that are competing for our attention. Um, you know, in your life, you know, all kinds of. Family affairs, um, health, financial concerns, COVID-19. Um, am I going to go to get into the university that I want to go to, or uh, does that person love me back? You know, all, all these kind of questions that we have. What the Lord really wants us to do is look away into Jesus mm. and look away into a person. God is very concerned with with persons, um, and likewise when we consider our eternal destiny, it also has to do with a person, not so much with with a place. Uh, We already covered John 14 earlier that really the destination, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where was Jesus going? He was going to the Father. And the way that we get to the Father is through the Son. So the emphasis, again, is not going to a place. It's going to a person through the son to the father um our destiny um is not a place it's it's a person it's the father no one comes to the father except through me and if honestly if i had a choice of going up to if going any place or going to the father i'd much rather go to the father than than any other place but kind a of, uh, a point that was raised a little bit earlier in and you're going to have to forgive me, I I kind of go into lecture mode, because that's what I do. Um, so I'll try to be a little interactive, but I've got these notes, and I'm going to probably go through them as quickly as I can, but at a pace that hopefully you can follow. Um, but I would like to say that from the very beginning of our history, and by our history, I mean the history of believers in Christ, there has been a tendency among us, amongst our early brothers and sisters, to want to physicalize the spiritual promises that God has given us. And there's also been a tendency to, instead of focusing on the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, on the Triune God, there's been a tendency to focus on stuff, and focus on getting stuff, and focus on what's good for me, and what's good for my family, and what's good for my friends, if we're particularly large of heart. But there's been this tendency to always, instead of wanting to lay hold of God himself, there's a tendency just to kind of want to go to a nice place when we die, you know, we're tired and we want to go to a nice place. But this has constantly actually been battled against by most of the most of the authorities in the church throughout 2,000 years. There's a great deal of um, there's a great deal of early church history, which emphasizes the importance of having the proper perspective of the. Um, expressions in the Bible that seem to refer to a physical place, but actually don't refer to a physical place. Mm. And I especially want to point um, your attention to Revelation 21 and 22. I'm actually writing my doctoral dissertation on this, on these two chapters right now. And I'm writing my dissertation on the early interpretation of these chapters in the first 600 years of church history. So that is from about the time that John wrote the book of Revelation, which is around the between the the year 90 and 100, probably. Between about the year 100 and the year 600, I'm looking at the interpretations of the New Jerusalem. What did it mean? What did they think? Um, So that's kind of the perspective. I'm going to especially look at this... um, this uh, pericope is what is called in Greek. This passage of Scripture, Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two. Um, and if um, actually, Trevor, could you share your screen and just pull up uh, Revelation twenty-one? So Revelation 21, it's the the verse that Nathaniel was just talking about not long ago. I'm going to focus on verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So I want to say a couple of things about this. Um, Many people, especially in the last couple hundred years, especially in the last couple of hundred years, when they read this, they really emphasize on um, on a city, like an actual city, if you go to, don't do this, okay, but if you go to Google, and you type in the image search, and you enter the word New Jerusalem, some of you are doing it already, Please, you know, if you must, you must, but if you type in New Jerusalem, and you do an image search, you get all kinds of artistic, kind of fanciful, fantastic representations of a Yellow cube with light coming out of it in all kinds of directions um, in the popular imagination of of many of of many of us, many Christians, when we read this chapter in revelation, we kind of have this vision of like this new Jerusalem kind of floating down out of heaven you know there's You know, angels kind of darting in all kinds of directions and Satan is in the lake of fire and God is on the throne and there's there's this city and it's got these streets and then you know if you scroll down in Revelation probably in in 21 maybe 15 16 something like that that, you'll realize that it's got a wall and it's a jasper wall and um in antiquity, they, they they what they called jasper was mostly green. Um, so there's jasper walls, there's um, there's gates, uh, there's twelve different stones that constitute the foundations, and then there's gates that you know gates that are pearls. You know you've heard of the pearly gates, right? In St. Peter, there, you know can't come in. Um, so all of that imagery is coming from the book of Revelation of, you know, streets of gold, pearly gates, uh, and this conception of heaven as being, well, number one, that's kind of a, a faulty connection. It never says that the New Jerusalem is heaven. It says it comes down out of heaven. Um, so you can't say that the New Jerusalem describes heaven, but people make this connection. Um, and kind of illegally you're not allowed to interpret the bible like that um but people in assume that it's just some kind of physical manifestation of gold and jewels and pearls and angels and and it's just a place of super duper luxury like beyond it's like a six-star hotel um it's, it's just like beyond your wildest dreams, and all you have to do is die to get there. You know first believe, then die, and then you get to, to go to this opulent, um, you know pirate box in the sky, uh, full of jewels and everything. Uh, I, I think a lot of us on this, on this um, call right now. I think we realize that what I'm describing is kind of silly um, and it doesn't really match God's purpose. You know, God wants us to believe in in him and then he wants us to be transformed by him over our lifetime. So, so that we match him in all kinds of ways. Right. The end of, if the end of that story is just that we, um, he's like, okay, Nice that you believed in me now you get gold it's it's just like that that doesn't connect there's something not something is not right with that picture um but I would like to tell you that this kind of vulgar expectation of a golden golden city and you know coming down out of the sky or something like that that's a, that that low kind of unworthy view of what um what our life with the board is, um, is very old. And I would like to actually at this point, take you to what I think is a super interesting quote. I'm gonna start sharing my screen. Uh, second, I'm kind of new to this guys. I'm not super experienced like your other hosts. Um, share screen. All right. This is. Uh, does everybody see this PDF that's open here? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So this is a um, this is a book by origin of Alexandria. He lived at the end of the second century, beginning of the third century, and he wrote a book called On First Principles. It was basically the first complete book of Christian of of, um, of Christian theology that was ever written. Origen is kind of considered the father of systematic theologians, because he went through the faith step by step, the father, son, spirit, promises, salvation, he, he kind of goes through each point. But in this book called On First Principles, there's, um, there's a really interesting quote in it. And if you can see my cursor moving, I'm not sure if you can. It said, he says this, so let us inquire whether in that life, that is the life which is to come, our existence with God in eternity, so let us inquire whether in that life, this is the first uh, yellow highlight section, that life which is the true one, which is said to be hidden with Christ in God, that is in the eternal life, there will be for us some such order or condition of living. So he's asking the question. What's it like? And what he answers is, his, his first answer is super illuminating. He says, certain persons rejecting the labor of thinking and following the superficial, superficial view of the letter of the law, or yielding rather in some way to their own desires and lusts, being disciples of the letter alone, reckon that the promises of the future are to be looked for in the pleasure of luxury of the body. And especially because of this, they desire to have again after the resurrection, flesh of such a kind that never lacks the ability to eat and to drink and to do all things that pertain to flesh and blood, not following the teaching of the Apostle Paul regarding the resurrection of a spiritual body. And consequently, they say that there will be Contracts of marriages and procreation of children, even after the resurrection, and picturing for themselves the rebuilding of the earthly city of Jerusalem with precious stones laid down for its foundations and its walls constructed of jasper and battlements adorned with crystal. And so, anyway, he goes on and on and on. And he says, So, what Origen is doing here is he's kind of mocking this perspective of. You know when you die, you're just gonna go to this really opulent um, you know golden city where you're gonna kind of eat your favorite food all the time and like drink your favorite drink get diet coke for the like for eternity bottomless endless refills um, there you know this perspective he's fighting against this perspective eighteen hundred years ago. There are already a lot of believers at this time who are starting to think that that the goal of God's salvation is just to live in physical comfort in heaven. And he wants to, um, you know, he takes great pains to to mock that. In fact, if you read the Church Fathers, and the Church Fathers are a lot of the the earliest authoritative theologians um, in the Church, they are not polite people and they really mock um they're they're not nice when they denigrate ideas that they don't like they're not polite like we are in the 21st century i was concerned about not offending people uh the church fathers very often just mock outright uh outright uh, the 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 ideas that they find contemptible so this is one of those portions um so he kind of goes on and on describing this physical um understanding of uh of of the goal of god's salvation which he finds just utterly contemptible um so earlier we were talking about the um we were talking about the traditions that have been passed down to us so the tradition of going to this place which is um you know super luxurious, It's an old tradition. Um, Even though it's been popularized in the last 200 years or so, the tradition goes back a very long way. And the church, you know, the brothers and sisters who have been writing on these things for almost 2,000 years, have been trying to tell believers it's not like that. It's not. So it's, it's it's not we're not going just to this happy place in the sky and die. God's salvation is actually much more glorious than that. So um, that's one thing I wanted to point out. the The fact of the matter is that God is much more concerned with persons than with places, and His intention is for us to be. In the sun to be like, so there's how many people are on the call right now? Over 200. Probably most of us have been baptized. And when we were baptized, we were baptized. You know, what did the, what did the brothers say when we got baptized? And this is irregardless almost of where you get baptized. I was baptized into the father, the son, and the spirit. And probably most of us heard those words as we were being baptized. You know, when we became believers, we were actually put into God. We were put into the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Yeah. And this, in God's intention doesn't stop after we get baptized. His mm-hmm. intention is that we always be in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in every day, a little bit more. So we were baptized into God. And then say we're baptized on a Tuesday. God's goal is that on Wednesday, we get a little bit more into God. Mm. Mm-hmm. Eventually, to the point where, just like the Lord said, I am going to the Father. And I'm the way into the Father. Right. And if you just follow me, I will, you know. There's a verse. This is this is outrageous. This was this is not what I was planning. But um, let me see if I can pull this open. If I can figure out where I am. All right. So there's this. Uh, Trevor, could you share the, your screen? John 17. Yeah. John 17. I'm going from memory here. I think it's around twenty, around twenty, twenty-one. Uh this verse is will really knock your socks off. Um every time I read it, I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Um uh, that's not it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, look at look at verse 21. Uh, Nadine, are you still there? Can you read can you read verse 21? Sure. that they all may be one, even as you father are in me. Okay, and stop. I in okay. you Okay, just you father are in me, okay? So it's like the fa- okay, this is the father, and he's in the son. Okay, and then read the next phrase. And I in you. Okay, so then it turns out to be the other way. So that now the Son is in the Father. Okay, then what? That they also may be in us. Who's they? They here is the, the believers. believers. In verse 21, in verse 20, it says, Those also who believe into me through their word. They believe. So you believe into the Son now you're in the son and it turns out the son's in the father ah but this but the father's also in the son and we're in the son <laughs> so what you have here is the father and the son and the believers who have been regenerated by the spirit all one Amen. so we've been baptized into okay we've been baptized into John 17:21 We've been baptized into the Father, into the Son. The Spirit's not mentioned there. But if you if you were to scroll up on another day, you would see that the Spirit as the paraclete is there. So the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and us are just completely, um, you can use this word, incorporated. Just, just like Father, Son, Spirit, and us. Except for we don't participate. Obviously, we're not. You know, we're we're kind of an invited guest <laughs> into the Trinity. So, um, but anyway, the, the reason I raise this point is because what God wants is He's He's not sending us to like a hotel in the sky, and yeah. He's not even sending us to a biblical hotel in the sky according to the blueprints of Revelation twenty-one. God's intention is that. We that we would be in him and he would be in us, and together with the son, we would be in the father, because that's what he said in chapter four, fourteen. I'm going to the father and I can take you there. So that's the direction, that's the where, that's where we're going. We're we're going into a person, just like we're already in a person. We've been baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, mm. and and it's that forever. Okay? It's Amen. It's just deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's one of the church fathers called Gregory of Nyssa. He's, and this just blows my mind, he says, we will constantly be getting deeper and deeper and deeper into fellowship with God for eternity, mm. and it will never stop. He, he says, Amen. it's like a staircase that never ends. Mm. It's like you take one step, and then you are oh, there's another step. And there's another step. And you just keep going. And you just keep going further and further and further and further and further into God forever and ever and ever. And God never runs out. Amen. Just, I mean, your mind is already at the edge of its capacity. You know, earlier, Nadine said something really nice. It was so good. It was the only thing I wrote down from the previous two hours. Sorry, Trevor. But uh, it was Nadine's thing that I wrote down. She says, this goes beyond our natural mental capacity. This is absolutely true. What God is calling us into is so much further than this materialist, uh, or even, I mean, this surpasses up. You know, like, are you going to go up to heaven? I mean, up doesn't even begin to describe this reality. I mean, up is almost like a meaningless term. Up is like the best we can do. You know, so we're always grasping it. You know, I have a seven-year-old daughter. I'm always trying to explain things to her, like, you know, like what? Like, put away the utensils. or I'm always trying to describe things, and it always seems like she doesn't understand. So I'm always kind of trying to find ways to, to, to explain things to her. You know, when, when it comes to God's goal for us, it's just like trying to explain quantum physics to a two-month-old. year It's just, just not going to get very far. But even so, we're humans and we're stuck with words. This is the only tool we have. Well, we have words and we have deeds. They're both super important. But when it, like right now, it's, it's all about words. And we're trying to describe the reality of, in, in the end, kind of the closest thing you can get to the real deal is I'm in my Father, and the Father is in me, and I and you, you and me. And also in, in John chapter 14, there's even more. It's just, yeah, the language doesn't even begin to express it. So, um, so I'm totally lost now. I, I got to figure out where I am in my notes. This really makes me excited. Um. So anyway, we're well, yeah, we so also when, when, talking when, about. Sorry, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I think I found it. Maybe let's see. I'm in the triune God right now. I lost my place. Place doesn't matter anymore. Okay, so. Um, I'm going to get to this point here. Um, So in the history, you know, we're talking about Revelation 21 and 22 is kind of being what some people consider to be the most elaborated description of heaven as the New Jerusalem. But um, one day I was, um, I studied in Oxford before I was in Leuven, and I was in the Bodleian Library. And I walked over to a shelf and I pulled this book. Well, not this book, but but I pulled a copy of this book off the shelf. This is called, it's the Fathers of the Church series from Catholic University Press of America. And this is Andrew of Caesarea's commentary on the apocalypse. The apocalypse is what some people call revelation. Catholics tend to call it the book the, the Apocalypse. This is the, one of the earliest surviving commentaries on the book of Revelation. You can buy it on Amazon. It's very expensive. Um, actually, I think it's only $30, but it's a small book. So this was written in about the year seven, uh in about the year 600. It was preceded not long before by this book by a brother in the Lord called Ecumenius, and then Andrew or Andreas uh, of Caesarea. And in these books, it was by finding these books that I decided to write the dissertation that I'm writing. And um, in these books, they go into a long description and a long interpretation of what the New Jerusalem is. And um, you know, if we had three days, I'd read the whole thing to you, uh, but I can't. And so I've gone and I've tried to find some of the the best bits. Okay, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull open one for you. And here we go. Okay, so. This is um, this is a, a section of the book of Revelation. If you can see my screen at the top left, uh, it says uh, the bride has made herself ready. This is Revelation 19, actually. The bride has made herself ready, and it was granted to her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and clean. Uh, for the bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness. Righteousness is actually in the Greek of the saints. And he, the angel says to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited into the supper of the Lamb. And then he says, these are the true words of God. Well, we know from having just read Revelation 21, 22, that the wife of the Lamb is actually a city. It's the new Jerusalem. And by the way, this is proof that what John is writing about here is not literal we're not talking about a literal city much less heaven we're talking about something which sometimes john calls a city and sometimes he calls a bride now you can't have like either your city or a bride you can't be both <laughs> one is uh you know the product of planning and building and one is is a human being right so um so it's this tension between the city and the bride, which Andrew of Caesarea, writing in around 6 in the year 614, he writes this, and I'm going to read this yellow bit here. Um, the supper of Christ is the festival of those who are saved, and the all encompassing harmony in gladness. In which the blessed ones who attain this will enter together into the eternal bride chamber of the holy bridegroom of clean souls. So in other words, we, as the new Jerusalem, are marrying Christ. Okay. If you've never heard this before, this is your first time. And when we're done, go spend some time with Revelation 19.9. Where you, see, where you will find out that the church is actually the bride of Christ and will marry Christ. But then uh, Andrew goes on, brother Andrew of Caesarea, by the way, those of you who know your antiquity, there are two Caesareas. One of them is in kind of in Syria, and then one of them is up in Anatolia or Asia Minor. This is the one up in the north. And um, So then he says this, many are the blessings of the future age, and they all surpass understanding. Okay, you can't skip that. Many are the blessings of the future age, and focus on this, and they all, they surpass all understanding. Okay, what he acknowledges here is he's about to say something which can't be said. And he's about to try to articulate something that we can't understand. And so he says this, the participation in these things is declared under many names. In other words, there are certain kind of mental images that the Bible uses for us so that we can kind of start to grasp uh, the, the goal of God's salvation and the, uh, you know, the, the, in our eternal existence with the Lord, you just, you, you can't, you, re, you run out of words. It's hard to explain it. And so in the Bible, there are many different ways that it uses to explain this. So sometimes it's called the kingdom of heaven. And actually, if you read the book of Matthew, this comes up a lot, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, and for they shall see God. And um, the the reward uh, is the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of the heavens, repent for the kingdom of the heavens. A lot of times when we Christians read this, we think, repent so that you can go to heaven. But that's not what he says. He says, repent so that we can receive and even become the kingdom of the heavens. The kingdom is the people. The kingdom is not the place. Okay. But anyway, uh, I digress. Mm-hmm. Uh so the the reality, the things that surpass understanding are described sometimes as kingdom of the heaven on account of its glory and honor, sometimes as paradise. Here Andrew kind of mixes some things that he shouldn't be mixing here, because paradise is not actually the same as our eternal destiny, as was made very clear from from, from some verses earlier. Um likewise with the bosoms of Abraham, but then he says, because um and if you skip down to the fifth line from the bottom of the yellow, it says, sometimes it's a bridal chamber in marriage, not only because of the unceasing joy, but also because of the pure and inexpressible union of God to his servants. So greatly transcending the communion of bodies, one with another, as much as light is separate from darkness and perfume from stench. Okay. It, when he was writing in about the year 600, they wrote really, really complex Greek. It's hard to read. So <laughs> that's why I'm reading you English, for my sake and for your sake. Okay. But what he's saying here is that when we talk about the bride, which is the city, the reason John uses the language of bride, you know, I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. When John uses that language, what he wants to emphasize is what he calls, what Andrew calls the pure and inexpressible union of God to his servants. And this union between God and those of us who have been saved it is greater than the union of human bodies. Okay, I have a daughter, she is the union of my wife and me physically. She is the result of union. You know, two gene pools crashing into one another which created our crazy daughter um but the union that we have with christ and that we have been baptized into and that we will grow into forever and ever surpasses even that union like that's as tight of a union as you can get where you actually create another human being But the union of Christ and the bride, that is the union of God and the new Jerusalem. It transcends that. Um, And then it goes on. So anyway, what I'm saying here is from very early on in church history, the brothers who have been writing commentaries on Revelation, and it's also true in this book by Ecumenius, we we start to realize that language simply has its limits. And that language does not, uh, that language just is not adequate to describing the reality for which we have been saved. Sometimes we use the language of city, sometimes of pride, some, you know, feasts, yeah. banquets. It's just, you know, the church fathers, and we need to be like them. They knew their limit. A lot of them just knew their limit. They didn't try to over-explain. They're just like, listen, one day Christ and Christ and the church will be one. They're already one and they're becoming ever closer. And and they're very comfortable saying things like um, they surpass all understanding. So anyway, I'm... Uh, Okay, Um, I need to keep moving otherwise we'll never make much progress. Uh, So anyway, what, what I'd like mainly for you to do is just realize that when we talk about place, what we should really be thinking of is we're becoming more and more closer, closer proximity to God and Christ, just like we were baptized. Um, are you guys are you guys following me here? Or am I yeah. am I losing you guys? I'm um, yeah okay yeah, but I'm <laughs> nobody's following falling asleep. You. Right? So okay what well, I'm gonna do one more thing here. There's, there's a lot I could say, but um, I would like to move to a final point, And that is here. There's a book by Hippolytus of Rome. This was written around the same time that, uh, that Origen was doing his work. Origen was from Alexandria in Northern Egypt, Hippolytus. There's a lot of historical conjecture about who he was and where he lived, and indeed how many Hippolytae there were. Um, some them. think that there were probably three Hippolytuses running around writing books, and eventually over time, people got them all confused, and now there's a single corpus by Hippolytus. But that's not why you called into this call today. Um, so Hippolytus of Rome was writing, you know, in the mid-third century. And when it comes to, um, he, he writes this book called The Refutation of All Heresies, and in this book, what he's trying to do is, con- if, if you look on the screen here in section 34 on the right, don't look at the Greek unless you know, but on the right, there's the English. Um, what he's trying to do is just preach the gospel and refute all errant understandings, all false understandings of the gospel and uh, of, of, of pagan thoughts and, um, and uh, Gnostic thinking and uh, paganism was still alive at the time and he was trying to refute that. But at the end of this very long book, In Book 10, he talks about those who have believed in Christ, and believed in Christ in a pure and true way uh, without mixing other things into it. And he says this, he says, these things, in other words, um, you know, eternal punishment. Uh, You will escape these things when you have been taught about the God who truly exists. You will have an immortal and incorruptible uh, body together with the soul, and you who have lived on earth and knew the heavenly king will receive the kingdom of heaven. Here he's not talking about going to heaven, by the way. And I'll show you what he's actually talking about. You knew the heavenly king even in your life, And you receive the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom which is heavenly in nature, not heavenly in location. And it says, he said, you will be a friend of God and a co heir with Christ, no longer a slave to desires, suffering, and diseases. Okay, now this may blow some of you off your chair. Then he says, you have become a God. And if you look over here in the Greek, it's 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 just jarring. You have become God, that's what it says. And then he says, The suffering you endured as a human being, these he gave you because you are human, but whatever belongs to God, this God has promised to give when you made immortal, become a God. So what he's saying here is that the ultimate destination of a believer is not going places. It's not making a tour of the universe. It's not going up, it's not going down, it's not going around. Ultimately, what we are doing is we are being transformed to a point where, and this is how Hippolytus says it, and I will be very honest with you, I'm very uncomfortable with saying that you know, we become a God that just, just sounds kind of funny to me, honestly. But this is this is what he says, and the early church was very comfortable saying this for reasons that one day, maybe on another of these dive sessions, we'll get into. Um, but the goal is that human beings become so intimate with God, like Andrew of Caesarea was saying in the other portion, that we begin to take on God's very attributes. And why is this? If you look all the way down to the bottom of page 763, the end of book 10 here, it says, you will be honored by him because you will be like him. God is not poor for his glory. He makes you also a God. So God brings us to a point where we match him in almost every conceivable way that it is possible for a human to match him, and this is for the glory of God. Um, so, this is uh, this is where, in the end, the I'm I'm kind of struggling for how to articulate this. We. You know, I began my section by saying, you know, we're, we're kind, we've kind of become used to this question. And the question is, where are we going to go? Where do we go when we die? Hopefully, through taking you on a little bit of a tour of some of the earliest thinking of our fellow believers, you know, not long after Christ died and resurrected and ascended and the church was formed and, and the, you know, the, the brothers started teaching very early on, there was a very, very exalted view of our ultimate destiny. In our ultimate destiny, it was expressed very clearly by Christ. Right. Our destiny is God. Mm-hmm. Our destiny is not a place. Our destiny, much less, is it an extravagantly... Um, you know, physical place. There may be physical components to it. I don't know. But um, but we are going into God. Essentially, we've been baptized into him. We are with him. You know, Paul says many times in the New Testament that we are in Christ. And he also says Christ is in us. You know the the whole purpose of God's salvation is that we would be in God, God would be in us. He does, It's not like at the end, like when we die, suddenly He says, "Aha! Well, you know, I used to be in you and you and me, but now the really good stuff happens. You get to go to heaven and have a golden city." You know, it's <laughs> that's a bait and switch. That's you know, that would be really disappointing for me, frankly. Oh, yeah. I really like being in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I want to do that forever and ever. It's begun now, and it will always continue. Amen. Um, Amen. So, my dear brothers and sisters, wherever you are, and I think we probably got six continents represented on this call, um, remember that our goal is a person. Our goal is to just get into God in ways that human language cannot even begin to describe. This is our goal. Um, and I just want to end with this one thing. You know, somebody said earlier, we're not pulling this stuff out of nowhere. We're not just like, we didn't just discover this, um, you know, those of us on this call. It's not like this is a secret that nobody knows. I want to show you um, I want to show you my screen one more time. And this is an article that was written by an academic in 1987. This is the New Jerusalem, which is people as a place, not a place for people. And this actually ended up being a very influential article. Uh, If any of you are universities and you have access to JSTOR or any you know any of these academic uh, databases it's very easy to find this look up robert h gundry and you can read this article if you want Um, but i would say that a lot of even theologians that i'm in touch with and i'm i'm really in touch with a lot of the you know top theologians and doing historical theology um if you ask any of them none of them will tell you, yeah, 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 we're going to go, you know, we're going to go to this neat thing in the sky when we die. That Serious theologians don't think that way. Unfortunately, for some reason, and I honestly cannot figure this out, people, they go to seminary and they learn things, and then they go out and they teach their parishioners that when they die, they're going to go to a fancy place in the sky and everything's going to be great. And a lot of people are even writing books. Like I died and I went to heaven and then I came back, you know, after my heart attack and, you know, and I saw like mountains out of rubies, you know, brothers and sisters, this is, this is, that's not an accurate view. I don't know what it is that they're experiencing. I don't know what kind of dreams they're having, but according to what the Bible tells us, Christ is the way into the Father. I cannot think of a better destiny, a better goal, a better place than to be in the Father with the Son by the Spirit. That is, you know, that is, that's as good as it gets. You know, there is one place in the New Testament, Paul said, let no one defraud you. I think he was talking to Timothy or to Titus who were young brothers at the time, and Paul was just like, don't let anybody give you anything less than the best. The best is that in that day, you will know that I am in my father, and you are in me, and I am in you, and together we will all be one. That is what the Bible tells us about our destiny. It never says you're going to go to heaven. It does say you're going into the Father. And, and I, think, I think that's what we need to stand for. I think that's, that's worthy. And the most important thing is that connects to our life now. We right. can begin to live in the Father now. We can begin to live in the Son now. We were already baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So let's continue doing that. Amen. Um, this is what the church has taught historically, and I think you know. And the church has made some wrong turns along the way. I, I freely admit that. I, I don't. I don't necessarily take these guys at face value on everything, but I will say, when it comes to this, they got it right. We're entering into reality that's just beyond our ability to describe. And the closest way we can get to it is. Use metaphors of city, metaphors of bride, and in the end, we're just using words saying that we're in the Father, and the Father's in us, and the sons in us, and we're in Christ, the Spirit's in us. You know, th- this is what we live for. This is this is what I'm living for, and I'm also writing a PhD about it, which is a lot of fun. Not many people get to do this kind of thing. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. All right. Amen. Sorry to a lecture you guys, but. But I, I, I could talk I could talk about this all day. I could even write a book about this. In fact I will. <laughs> That's right. Maybe he will. Okay. All the dissertation. Yeah.